0: Another day. Another dollar makes you wonder Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing dream, world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life in times get tough. Really or even if they don't dictate it a bit differently today. In fact, it dictated in the way that's gonna become the norm from my home office. With better audio quality and less chance of me getting crushed by a giant truck. We're going to talk today about listener feedback and listener questions again. I'm home. I've got a big backlog of this stuff built up, especially things with people telling me about what they're doing, and it's a lot easier to read an email from somebody that says, not really I have a question, but I want you to know what my family and I are doing uh, when I'm home. So I I like to do these from home, and we'll probably go back to a a once-a-week format with them uh, in January when I start doing this full-time from the house. Uh, Because I'll be able to do those things mixed in with the questions. But for right now, we're going to go ahead and add an extra listener feedback one in. And uh, I think it'll be a good show. Again, i got a lot of questions backlogged as well, so I'll be answering questions today from you guys. And uh, telling you some things about where the show's going and what kind of things we're going to be doing uh, for you in 2010. And I'm going to also tackle some pretty hot-button political issues today, because there's some hot-button political things going on out there. And uh, I may even come across some one of them like I told you so. Um... I did tell you so when I get to that one make sure you understand I'm not happy about being right um not happy at all about it but we'll try to stay as happy as we can throughout today's show, help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And uh, on that note, before we start digging into the meat today, let's go ahead and do some housekeeping. Housekeeping uh, item number one, as usual, is let's take care of our sponsors. They support the show. They help take care of you. Um, I want you guys to know how much the sponsors love being on the show and being uh, part of it with you. I had four of my sponsors come up for contract renewals at the end of December, December 31. Um, All four have agreed to renew for their full terms. All four. Four out of four. Um, That's a third of my sponsors. Uh, They came up for renewal on one day, and all four of them said, yeah, we want to stick with these people. Uh, that's cause you guys take care of them. Hopefully they keep, they keep taking care of you. Cause if they don't, uh, they will have, uh, they will lose the opportunity, uh, to stay sponsors. I, I this show is for you, the audience. And, uh, the two folks that I, uh, have to mention to you today have always taken care of you. Uh, first is, uh, SawTack or Sawtooth Tactical uh, check out their website at sawtac, com. really cool gear really cool stuff and if you click on the banner folks I want you to go visit these guys today even if you're not going to buy anything today I know it's two days before Christmas, they're running a contest over there and they're giving out a free uh, survival water bottle. This is cool. It's just a, a metal water bottle like those metal water bottles that everybody probably has. But on the outside of this bottle is a whole bunch of information about how to deal with survival situations. So it's two tools in one. It's like a little mini book, plus it's a container to carry water around with. That's cool. They're giving away one of those, I think, every month or something like that. All you got to do is fill out a form, so go check them out today. Next is Western Botanicals. I had Dr. Kyle Christensen on here. It's an amazing amount of of stuff that they have available there, uh, from prepared things to the raw herbs. And I think that... If you, you know are starting to learn herbal crafting yourself and making your own medicines and stuff, it's easy to get some of the things you need, but it's not easy to get all the things you need. So maybe you look at Western Botanicals as your source for those things you can't grow in your backyard uh, because you know you're either going to get 100% organic or wildcrafted herbs. And uh, and if you don't want to go ahead through the process of making your own stuff, they have great things there. They have one thing that we've been using that they sent to me, and my wife is like the most skeptical person in the world when it comes to herbal. Things and stuff like that, but it's for sore, you know, joints and aches and things like that. And uh, it's like a salve, and you rub it on. And it's made with wintergreen, and it's kind of strong smelling. Honestly, if you have a stuffed up nose, you can take a couple whips of it, and it'll open your nose up pretty good. But I remember the other night, my wife had a really sore neck, and I said, "Let me put some of this on you." She's like, "Okay, fine." So I put it on her, and she went to bed. She woke up in the morning. She said, "That stuff is fabulous." I am completely relaxed, my muscles don 't ache anymore, and um, so I really recommend you take a look at what 's available there, and maybe a trip to the pharmacy is not necessary if you can start learning how to improve your health and and you know, The one thing I really liked about having uh, Dr. Christensen on is uh, even though he 's a chiropractor and a master herbalist and a naturopathic doctor, he is not anti Medical doctor. He believes there's things that medical doctors are better at, there's things that alternative practitioners are better at, and there's places where they should be working together. Uh, that tells you you've got a legitimate guy there. So I went along with the sponsors today, but I consider it a Christmas present to them because they're taking such good care of us here at TSP. And uh, both of these folks I've done direct business with, I can tell you they're worth working with. All right, moving on from there forum i'm going to go a little tiny bit long on that today just because i have something to tell you the forum has just been completely redesigned by sister wolf it looks much cooler it looks like it belongs part of the survival podcast family now it's not some stock theme out of uh... uh... simple machines forum that i just threw on there to get the forum up and running when there was two people on it uh... it now looks like it's part of the family which it should have been a long time ago and uh, i guess sis got tired of me uh piddling around, waiting till I was going to go out and find kind of an a uh, simple machines uh, forum guru to do it for me. Went out and modded a theme up, and I think it looks really good. So, if you're a forum member, or if, you, if you're not a forum member, if you just go buy it once in a while, check it out today. Look at the new modifications to the design. Really cool. If you're not a member, what are you waiting for? Come on, we're friendly. Join the forum. Start making local connections, national and international connections. Start to share information. Start to learn. There's a PhD in preparedness sitting on that forum for anybody that wants it. It's already been put there by the other members. Get involved with it. Um, Swing by the gear shop. Last-minute Christmas shopping, I guess. I don't think it'll get shipped in time. Uh, But check the gear shop out. Get on our YouTube channel. I'm telling you, I've got a bunch of video coming next week. I'm gonna have a lot of downtime between kind of winding things down at the office and going full time with TSP on January 1. I'm gonna put a lot of video out in the next week or two. Get on the YouTube channel. Consider joining the MSB. Give it to yourself as a Christmas present. $5 a week or $50 a year, or $5 a month, I'm sorry. $5 a month or $50 a year. Support the show. 20 cents an episode. And, uh, there'll be more than 5 episodes a week starting in January. Uh, maybe not 10 about more than five, because there will be some extra special things uh, sprinkled throughout the, uh, the month. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get into the show. I know it went a little bit long, but I've uh, a lot to tell you guys. And This is a great time of the year, and it's time to kick back and relax a little bit, um, but it's also time to continue to think about what we're going to do to prepare um, for whatever life may bring us in the future. And there's a lot of things that are coming our way that we may not really be happy about. Um, let's start out by talking about one of those. Alright, so the uh the first thing we have today comes from a guy named Joe, and I, I don't know if he wants his last name given out on the air, so I'm not gonna do it. But Joe's a good guy, man. I, I hear from Joe all the time, probably at least once a day on the hot button political issues. He's really, really a uh I, a warrior, I, I'll, I'll put it that way, Joe's a warrior, He he's fighting his ass off for America, uh, and he's letting his government officials know he's not happy about all of the craft that they're doing, and uh, I'm pretty impressed with him, and if we had a couple hundred thousand people like Joe, we might just affect some change at, at the governmental level, so I'm going to tell you one of the things that <clears throat> he sent me today, and uh, this is... Uh, I, I, I don't really know how to how to say this other than he's right, um, dear editor. Uh, news of Congressman uh, Doctor Parker uh, Griffith switching over to the Republican Party renews my faith that Obama health care at gunpoint is not palatable to everyone. How can Obama get away with lying to us? Uh when he said that he was unlike Hillary Clinton and was against mandatory health insurance. Even the League of Women Voters have tipped their hand publicly supporting Obama's lie. I thought the League of Women Voters was nonpartisan. God granted our constitutional right God got it granted us our constitutional rights. Not a king or even Congress. It is Congress's duty not to infringe upon those God given rights. And apparently Congressman Griffin had enough of Nancy Pelosi's mockery of her solemn oath to uphold the US Constitution. Joe you're right, and this is the thing that I said and I went ahead and decided to do this first to get this out of the way where I was gonna say I might sound like I I was gonna say, Yeah, I told you so and I wasn't happy about it. And this this new healthcare thing I told you guys weeks and probably months ago, don't think we're gonna beat this don't think they're going to beat this, they'll, they'll, they'll create some kind of Frankenstein out of what they have, and the Senate will pass it. They'll go to 60 votes, they'll get their cloture, and then they just need a you know a simple majority to pass. And now they're going to throw this thing back over at the House. Um, you bring something up good, Joe, and it, this is the one hope that I think America has if this thing reaches some kind of compromise in the House and, and becomes law under the signature of King Barack it very well may not be constitutional. I, I think that anybody with an 8th grade education that would have read the Constitution would actually say this this is not constitutional. For the state to mandate you to buy health insurance against your will, even if you don't want it, to require you to participate in an insurance program for your body is unconstitutional. We talk about freedom of choice And I'll I'll talk about the the free choice aspect of this thing here in a second. And and we we bring up an issue like abortion and say women have a right to choose as one side of the argument. Well, I I would wonder if those same people would understand that you should also have a right to choose not just to do something like that that a lot of people disagree with, but to simply abstain from something, no matter what that might be, to abstain, uh, including... Maybe I don't even just not want health insurance. Maybe I don't even want traditional health care. Maybe I want to go spend my money with a a a a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine that doesn't get covered by these insurance programs and, and, and chiropractors. Maybe that's how, and I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying maybe there are people out there that feel that way. Shouldn't they have that option? Shouldn't they have that right? Isn't that not a God-given right that's supposed to be protected by our Constitution. So I think an 8th grader that read the Constitution would see this as unconstitutional. The question is, will the group of people that we now call Supreme Court justices decide that it's unconstitutional? And I think there's a very good chance that the majority of them will. There's uh, a strong case here to be made for that. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen. There's my prediction in 2010 for what's going to happen with this thing. Here's how bad this bill is. And I bet you, even though I'm into a political thing now, some of you go, I don't like politics. We'll get to some other stuff. Relax, right? And you're not going to hear this from any of the talk show hosts on mainstream radio. Not one of them. Not one of the right-wing ones. Not one of the left-wing ones. I'm going to tell you how this thing's going to go down, because I'm not part of the game. I'm outside of it. This thing's going to go over the house, and there's two huge... Uh, sticking points that are going to hit the craw of the American people. One is abortion. There is a provision in the Senate bill that allows for the creation of something called a fund for reproductive services. Now this is not exclusive to abortion, but it would include abortion. And what this does is it requires every single person in America who's purchasing insurance, which is everybody, because you're required to, to contribute a portion of that insurance to this reproductive services fund. All right. Now, a portion of that is then available to provide services such as abortion. This is a huge problem for the bill with the American people, and the more people that become aware of it, the bigger the problem is going to be. There's a big divide in America over the issue of abortion. I don't want to make that divide any worse. I'm not going to talk about anything about who's right and who's wrong in that issue today. I was just going to say there's a huge divide. There's a large portion of Americans totally opposed to it. They want it outlawed. They want it illegal. They certainly want anything, you know, later than a certain number of weeks to be illegal. Then there's a group of people that want it to be completely legal, loved, sanctioned, condoned, and, and go on and on and on. That group is a minority. The majority is made up of the first group I described and a second group. There's a second group of people that are not really sure where they stand on the issue. It's a gray area for them. They may have a religious conviction against it, but they also understand that their religion doesn't necessarily apply to other people. There's people that are non-religious that look at it as, boy, you really shouldn't do that, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. And there's a whole gray area in there. Where that gray area sides with the area that wants it completely illegal is when we start talking about putting taxpayer dollars into it. That majority becomes a super majority when we talk about the government funding it. Okay? So this is a huge issue, and it's never going to get through the House. There's too many um, pro-life Democrats in the House for this thing to get through. And there's too many what you'd call, you you know, call the blue dog Democrats that are from very conservative Democratic districts that did even if they would be okay with it, they can't vote that way, it will kill them, and they know it. So that is a non-starter in the House. The additional thing that's in the Senate bill is a uh, provision of taxes and new taxes. These taxes are either 16 to se- or, 16 or 17 new taxes, and... Um, those 16 or 17 new taxes, only one of them could even be you know, argued to apply only to the wealthy. The other 15 or 16 apply to you and me and everybody else out there in middle America. All the people that were promised no new taxes, no higher taxes. Uh, to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars. Possibly tens of thousands of dollars a year. Plus, our insurance costs are going to go up. We pay more taxes, more for insurance, and then our money gets used to fund abortions. Okay. On top of that... This bill has massive cuts in it for Medicare, Medicare, uh, including things like hospice care, which is end-of-life care instead of -of end-of-life planning. I guess they they don't want to care for people at the end of their life, but uh, they'll help them plan it. and a lot of other things. Now, I don't know what if those last pieces are going to get involved in this, but here's what's going to happen. This is going to go back to the House, and we're going to have a coalition of a few Republicans uh, that are pretty much rhinos that should be just standing against this thing altogether. And these blue-dog Democrats, they're going to hold out, and they're going to get this thing altered and they're going to send it back with the provision for the reproductive services stripped out of it, and they're going to dink around with these new taxes, and they're going to change them a bit, maybe remove one or two. It's still going to be a massively new tax bill, but they're going to be able to say that they curved this out. And then they're going to throw that to the president as a compromise bill. And then all of the people that are on the, you know, in the areas where they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs, uh, that didn't really want to support this, but they did want to support it, are going to come to you and they're going to tell you they did the best they could. They were outnumbered. They were outgunned. They stood their ground as much as they could. But at least, hey, they got this abortion thing out for you. That is there simply to be removed. That is all that it is. This whole thing is a big pile of crap. You're being completely lied to. You're being completely misdirected about this from both sides of the aisle. And when this thing goes through, the Republicans are going to stand up and say, we fought the good fight, get us in there in 2010, and we'll do everything we can to strip it down. And they're not going to be able to strip it down because they're not going to have a Republican president to help them strip it down. And even if they did, there's no guarantee that he would strip it down. They may not even fight that fight. They'll say, we were going to do that, but we had to find something new. So there's your future forecast. For early twenty ten with this healthcare debate. I wish the heck I wish the heck I could be more optimistic for you. And I know the first part of that you might have been thinking, boy, this sounds like you know what I heard on Glenn Beck or whoever. The second part is that you're not gonna hear it from anybody. You're not gonna hear it from anybody on mainstream radio. Because if they do that they admit that we don't have the side of right and the side of wrong. It can't be a shill when you say both sides are corrupt. That's independence. And that's what I give you when I talk about politics. Let's talk about something a little bit more interesting. Sorry I went along with that, but this is one of the biggest things to hit America. And it's one of the biggest threats to the survival of a family, the survival of our economy, the survival of our job base, the survival of our business system in America. This is one of the biggest blows to the free enterprise system that we've ever had. This is the government taking over the last thing that they need to have complete control. They already control food. They already control energy to a large degree. Now they're going to control health care. You see, but the public options gone, Jack. Once they mandate health insurance, and once they force everybody into the system, they can do the same thing they do with utilities. They come in with pricing controls. They come in with this. They want to raise the price. They have to go to the government and ask them to. Right? That's how your electric bill works. They want to raise the bill, they have to go to the state. Why everybody needs electricity? Everybody has a right to electricity. See, the whole point of this bill is they're making health care a right. Once healthcare becomes a right, the government de facto is required to enforce that whoever is in control of health care give it to people as a right. And unless the Supreme Court steps in and says this is unconstitutional, and there is some hope for that, unless that happens, this battle is lost. Without a complete and total, complete and total overhaul of the government. And that means everybody's gotta go. Republican, Democrat, Independent, I don't care. They've all gotta go. All of them. And I don't know that the people in this country have the stomach to make that happen. If they do, that's the only way we'll ever take it back after this. Sorry to be so solemn today. But we have a lot of fighting we can continue to do in our individual lives. So let's look at something like that. Let's look at something more positive now. So, what I, so, look, I see the encroachment of government everywhere in our lives. And it's why I'm so big on permaculture, small-scale agriculture, community-supported agriculture, anything that takes the control of your food and brings it back to you personally or to your local community. And starts to empower people to feed themselves. So we're going to shift and we're going to talk to now about a couple questions about something called swales. Uh, we're going to start out with a question about basically... Uh, What is a swale? What what are you talking about here? Dave says, can you explain the effective use of swales? I have have heard you bring them up numerous times, but I do not remember hearing you explain how to successfully implement them into permaculture. I have seen videos where people show the swales that they've created, but never explain how or why they work. Um, There is a a YouTube video called Greening the Desert. I'll link to it today. It does a very good job. Uh, It's by G.F. Lawton of, of showing how, um, a, sw- a swell works. I'll do my best to explain it, um, in audio. It's, it's a little bit difficult without video, video aid, um, or any kind of visual aid. But the way that a swale works is it's not just a ditch. A drainage ditch is, you know, or a irrigation ditch is, is old school mentality. People have been doing it all over the place. Swales are actually older than drainage ditches or, or, or irrigation ditches. They're the original way that people created um, sustainable agriculture using land contours. What's different about, let's say, a swale than an irrigation ditch is irrigation ditches are just designed to distribute water, and that is all. And just to move it out into a field, uh, it's generally in a pretty flat, and it's done very linearly. If you look at most irrigation uh, uh, ditches, they may curve when they have to, but pretty much they run straight line along straight rows of crops that they're irrigating. Um, what we do with a swale is, let's say I have a gentle slope to my land, and the top piece of my land is uh, at 100 feet of elevation, and the bottom feet of my land is at 90 feet of elevation. So I have a 10-foot drop Uh, in elevation across my entire, let's say, four or five acres. If I'm going to, say, take this one piece of my land, and I am going to decide that that's where I'm going to start, let's say, my little food forest on that piece of land. I'm going to build this little mini uh, quarter acre, half acre food forest that I want to sustain itself. What I'll then do is go to that area, and I'll use... Uh, different types of equipment. There's very low-end, simple, inexpensive equipment, and if you get the DVD from Backyard Food Production, you'll see a way to build a piece of equipment to do this with uh, that'll cost you about 15 bucks to build. Or you can get really expensive laser equipment to do this. But one way or another, what you do is you mark the contour line uh, on the land, which means if you happen to be at, let's say, 95 feet is the elevation point that you're at, where you're going to start your ditch, and you're going to go to the right. You go to the right, and you find exactly where the land is still 95 feet, and you put a mark, let's say a meter away. And you go another meter, and you find 95 feet, and you put a marker. And you keep doing it for the entire length of your dish. So maybe you end up with a 100-meter-long uh, contour line. And if you look at that, contour lines on land, even where the land looks flat, even where it looks like it's, uh, it's not really shaped much, that line over 100 meters will never be straight. It'll be quite curved. It'll often curve and maybe curve back a couple times. And then you'll put your swale in along that contour line. And what that'll do is instead of becoming a dam, it becomes a very gentle dispersion tool for the water. And what you do is at the end, and the, we, what do you do with when the, when the ditch reaches beyond its capacity? At the very ends of the ditch, you stretch out for, let's say, 10 meters more on each side of the ditch, exactly level with contour. So once the water comes up above the land surface line, that's the, that the ditch is created, it gently rolls into the rest of the land and distributes, goes down maybe to your next swale system, all right? Now, the beauty of the swale is you take all the dirt from the swale that you pull out of the ditch, and you make the ditch about, most systems are about a meter wide or a yard wide, and then you pile all the dirt on a gentle slope on the downhill side of the of the uh, swale. So you take the dirt out, and you pile it to your downhill side. Then you mulch the hell out of it, Right? And you plant it, you plant it with just tons of legumes. You're talking short-term uh, things like, depending on the time of year, winter or summer peas and vetch and things like anything that puts nitrogen in the soil. And I mean tens of thousands of them. You're not even worried about whether you get a crop out of these things or not. You, you take the, your, your, your beans or your peas or your vetch, you mix it with an inoculant, you just, you just like seed it like it's grass, and then you mulch over it. And that comes up, and that first crop You chop it down, and it puts nitrogen, and it starts to repair the soil. It starts to bring it back to what it was before we screwed it up by clearing it off in the first place. Then you come in behind there, and you plant a mixture of trees. They're going to grow to be tall canopy trees and short understory trees. And you plant various different things throughout there, and you start practicing chop and drop, which means some of the trees you plant would be uh, a nitrogen-fixing tree, a legume, uh, that grows very, very, very fast. There's trees out there that will grow ten feet in one year. They're only maybe as big around as a uh, a broom handle, but they grow straight up like that. You know, and they only live five to seven to ten years. Uh, and, and what you do is, once that tree gets up about six feet tall, you go in with a pair of pruners and you cut it in half. And you just drop the top on the ground right where it stands. You let it begin to rot. And you keep mulching this. And, you, you know, a few feet out from uh, the big trees, you plant a secondary role, and that's your your understory trees. And then this, this is the permaculture layer system, right? And a few feet out from your, your your secondary trees, you start planting your bushes and your shrubs, and in between you plant your vines. And then you come into a herbaceous layer, and you have your root layers and everything else. Just everything is mixed in there, like a big mess, just like nature intended it. Now, what is the swale doing for you? A swale fills up with water, and it holds the water. And very slowly, the water seeps into that big bank of dirt and mulch that you've made on the other side and waters those plants. And once that gets saturated, the water begins to travel downhill. Eventually, you'll you'll retain so much water, even in a very minimalist area with a very minimal amount of rainfall, that the water will actually go all the way down to a layer underground, a, a bedrock layer, where the water can't go any deeper. And it will actually begin somewhere downhill to seep out of the ground. And once you've done that, you've saturated the ground, you can grow anything you want. That's what a swale is. And it's really amazing. And what you do is you put your first swale up on a relatively high elevation on your property. And then you come down below it and you put in another swale system. You come down below and you put another swale system. And eventually you create an entire forest that's self-propagating through the use of swales and irrigation and all of the, the organic material that falls off of the trees that helps retain the moisture. And there's food forests that have been put in like this 5,000 years ago uh, in Morocco. I saw a video with uh, with Bill or it was either Jeff Laughton or Bill Mollison, where he went to Morocco to a 5,000-year-old food forest that's still producing. So that's what's magical about a swale. That's how you can use something like a ditch to take some of the freedom back, that these people are taking away from us in our government. Because if you can feed yourself, you have one piece, you know, of the things that really make up your freedom. If you have the ability to defend yourself, to feed yourself, to shelter yourself, and to and to take care of yourself from a health standpoint. If you have as much freedom as you'll ever need, well, you know, they encroach on our freedom to to to, uh, to house and shelter ourselves with property taxes. They're encroaching on our ability to take care of our own health in whichever way that we choose. It's really going to be hard for them as long as you resist to take control of your ability to feed yourself. So I suggest you do that. That's why I bring these topics up. And And that question came again from Dave. Um, now, here's another question from somebody named Janet that, that ties right into the swell question. came in like, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes after uh, Dave's question came in. Janet says, uh, love the show today but it brought to mind a question. How about using a small bobcat to create some contours on land that is flat as a pancake and try to capture rainfall to help things grow? We have five acres of land in uh, southeastern New Mexico. It's almost completely flat. We just drilled a well. We were worried about water rights legislation in New Mexico and wanted to get it done so they couldn't tell us we couldn't do it. We don't plan to actually live there for about two years, but we would love it if we could plant some things uh, and get a start before we start building a homestead there. Even though we would like to investigate the possibility of putting some solar power on the well and uh, power the pump, we are worried about putting the pump into the well because of the possibility of theft. Okay, the site is pretty isolated. Uh, we just had them drill the well and cap it for now. However, it would be great if we could get some things started growing there in the meantime. Uh, I'm not going to, it's too much information there. Swells would be great if we could figure out how to do it and it helped enough to make a difference. Most newly planted things would have a difficult time making it without water. So it's just such a low rainfall area. Um, even with swales, where you're at, I know the area. And at parts of the times of the year, you're going to need that well for irrigation. You're just not going to be able to do it with rainfall alone. With a lot of different plant species that you're going to want to grow. that are going to be well suited for the environment otherwise. Now, here's the thing about your flat land. First of all, it's probably not as flat as you think it is. Uh, but secondly, you can definitely use a bobcat to do quite a few uh, good things there. One of the big things that you can do is go ahead and put in swells on contour. I, I, again, I know you think that land is flat. There's slope to every piece of land out there. And you only need a foot. Again, watch Greening the Desert from today's, uh, today's show notes, and you'll see how little they had to work with. But the other thing that you can do with relatively flat land, is instead of doing a typical swale system, you can actually, if you did determine it was totally flat, kind of make a snaking swale system where the water that lands there when it does rain has to go somewhere, right? And the more places you create to catch that water, the less of it can run off because it's running somewhere or else it would be going into the ground. There's also some very low-tech things you can do. I'll see if I can find this video for you. I don't know if I can, but explaining it is probably sufficient for you to understand. Um, it, it might have been uh, the Arid Environments Permaculture video from Bill Molson. and I'll link to that today, too. Um, but this guy had this machine, and basically it looked like a big steamroller. But the roller had these like little cleats on it. And all he did was just drive this cleated piece of equipment through the desert. That was it. That was the whole thing he did. So he'd pick out like a one-acre square piece of desert, and he'd drive this thing and make all these little pock marks in the ground. And it was just like somebody came through with a, you know, the the shoes that uh, you wear to play baseball at the cleats, like a giant, you know, with a shoe as big as your living room, walked through there and made these little cleat marks everywhere. That's what it would look like when he was done. You go, what what does that do? Well, what it did is when wind would blow debris through, little pieces of sagebrush and seed and everything like that, they would all collect in these little pockets. And that would rain, right? And when it would finally rain in the desert, that piece of land that he put all these little pockmarks in, the water wouldn't run off. It would all go in these little holes. At least some portion of it would. And it would go down, it would get collected, and it would saturate this piece of ground unlike any other piece of ground around it. Now, the little seeds and organic matter that went in those pockmarks had water to work with. And they were protected by this little bitty cone. And you would look and you'd see these patches of green throughout the desert. Everything is dead. And there's a one-acre patch of green. look looked like an oasis. Growing and beginning to repair and create soil in the middle of this sand desert. All you did was make pockmarks in the ground. So you can create some contour if you want to. And that's probably not a bad idea. And you can do a lot with it. You can also create, let's say, a greater surface area of ditch by taking more winding ditches, even if the land is totally flat, pumping your irrigation into those ditches when it's not raining, doing tremendous amounts of mulch. Uh, you're going to always be limited to what you can do in a place like that unless you get really intensive with it and really scientific with it, beyond my knowledge, honestly. I don't have a lot of, especially desert uh, knowledge. But, again, if you watch this video with, uh, with uh, Jeff Lawton, and you see what they did, and they did this below sea level, on salted land, near the Dead Sea in Israel. The worst place on earth. Jeff Lawton called it the edge of the earth, as bad as it gets. And they greened it in six months. So take a look at that and see if it gives you some ideas, Janet. And thanks for asking that question. That's a good one. And folks, again, I want to point out, it is by taking back things that are as simple as our ability to feed ourselves. Things that simple that we can really make a difference and take back control of our lives. Because make no mistake about it, the encroachments of government that we're dealing with today are not about more taxes and more power for government. That's not what it's really about. It's not about your money. It is to you, but it's not to them. The government doesn't want your money. The government wants control. The banks and the corporations want the money. The money goes right through our government. And it gets transferred from the poor to the wealthy. That's the redistribution of wealth that King Barack is talking about. All right? and, and to be fair, that's the redistribution of wealth that, that started with George Bush Jr. Neither one of these guys are your friends. I'm sorry. They're both freaking ass clowns. I'm sorry to be a bit of a downer today, but I want to be honest with you about these things. And I want to light a fire under you to understand why that stupid little tomato plant in your backyard matters. And why it scares people. It scares your government. It scares them more than your rifle. If you pick your rifle up like an idiot and start running down the street saying you're going to take your country back, they'll shoot you. If you're not dead, they'll put you in jail. They'll call you a terrorist and the people around them will cheer. They try to squash you for feeding yourself. They'll create a revolt in this country like they've never seen before. It's the last stand. I mean that. All right, let's talk about some other things we could do to be prepared for whatever may come our way. Okay, so as I sound somewhat political today, remember, folks, that I'm only as political as I'm asked to be on these feedback shows. Um, So I just answer the questions kind of in the order they come in here. Um, Stephen asked me, do you think China is totally on board with uh, the setting up of a global government? Do you think that they will give up their sovereignty so easily? I think not, which may throw a spanner into the works. By the way, I love your show. You totally kick ass. Well, well thanks, thanks, Stephen, man. That's cool. Um, no, I don't think China is totally on board with global government. I think they're a big problem for the people that want a global government. But I think the way that you get somebody on board... All right. is you say, well, this is going to happen with or without you. So the case that will be made to China is you're the biggest and the baddest player in Asia-Pacific. Clearly, in in the European Union, existing outside of the European Union, by the way, the United Kingdom is the big dog, the dominant player in that theater. In the North American Union, it's going to be the Americans leading the way. South American Union, it'll be Brazil. All right? Now, look, there's going to be an Asia-Pacific Union, sooner or later China. You can either emerge as the leader or somebody else can. And if you don't emerge as the leader, what you're going to end up with is a situation where you're completely surrounded and your sovereignty matters not because you want the same things we want anyway. We want socialism and you're a socialist country. Why wouldn't you want to be part of this global socialist utopia? And the case that's going to be made to nations throughout the world for global governance is going to be it's going to be kind of like the United States, right? You're not going to lose all your sovereignty. Texas has some state sovereignty over the over Washington DC, right? There's a, there's a global mandate for the things that are too big to leave an individual control. Right? So, come on, get on board with this. Now, will it work? I don't know. Uh, the Chinese are fiercely independent people. And they have a, a tremendous history. I'm not... Don't think I'm, like, in love with the current government in China. I'm not. I don't like communism in any shape or form. In fact, what China has today may be the worst of both worlds. They've figured out this capitalist game, and they've brought the capitalist system into a communist state, and they've created uh, their own brand of fascism, is basically what they have today. We also have our own brand of fascism. I think theirs is inherently worse. But the people themselves have a spirit that's very tough to control. And there's a, there's a separation of powers in China that we used to have in this country that, that they, they, they seem to have kept and we don't have anymore, ironically, even though they're a communist state. And that is that the federal government in China has its duties and they do not apply generally to the individual and the city and the state level. And the average Chinese person doesn't even worry about what its federal government is doing because it deals with its local government. And there's places where there's a, you know a superseding and, and stuff like that, but they seem to have that worked out better than we do, which is really ironic to me. And those people, especially the people, there's, remember there's 1.6 billion of them. If half of them don't want to go along with it, that's 600, 700 million people, 800 million people. 800 million people is a lot of people to try to convince to do something they don't want to do. So, I think they may be a big holdout. How it's going to play out, I don't know. I I can look at things that are short-term plays, like the healthcare scam that we're going to see come ahead at the beginning of the show, and I can tell you what's going to happen. This, I don't know. I don't even know if they're ever going to successfully create a global government. All I can tell you is that they're, you know, they're trying to do it. They want to do it. It's not hidden. It's not, you know, some kind of, you know, 12-man Illuminati trying to run the entire world, buried under the ground that no one knows about. It's completely open. It's wide open. Climate change is a huge part of it. They're bringing, you know, the, the people that want to enact these strict climate change laws that really won't affect the climate whatsoever have said we will use global governance to do it. Right. What, what more proof do you need? That a former vice president of the United States standing before the entire world and saying, we will use global governance to enact this. To believe that they want global government. Chinese will be a sticking point. And I think if you look at the moves that the Chinese have made, again, you don't have to like their politics. This is not about their politics. This is a, an analysis from the outside. What are survivalists in this country doing right now? Modern survivalists. They're increasing their ability to feed themselves, to provide themselves water, to provide themselves energy. They're converting fiat currencies into hard assets like gold, silver, land, agricultural production, mining. Alright? That's what the Chinese are doing. It's exactly what the Chinese are doing. They're taking... Their, their, their fiat currency that they're creating out of borrowing our fiat currency, and they're going and buying gold. They're buying gold mines. They're building roads. They're, they're building out their infrastructure the way we did in the 50s. They're seeking additional ways to provide themselves energy. They're putting in massive dams, not just for the water, but for the energy that it'll create. They're, expand, they're doing. China is acting like a survivalist. Who knows? Maybe they're getting ready for the battle. I sure as hell hope not. Not if they get, because when people go to battle, and they entrench themselves, and they fight for liberty, it's one thing. When a nation like China does it, it could be really bad for us. We are talking about, again, 1.6 or 1.7 billion people with nuclear weapons. That's another reason for you to be prepared to deal with whatever the hell we have to deal with. That's a scary thing out there. And I wouldn't. Res- I would not, I don't care again if I like their politics, I would not... Um, in any way, begrudge them for resisting. I want us to resist. And maybe maybe if we take this dadgone country back, maybe there's an alliance there. who knows? It'd be an odd alliance, wouldn't it? But we've had odd, ally- odd alliances before. And the best alliances are between people that don't want anything really to do with each other. They want to stay to themselves. That's a perfect alliance. Because you don't start trying to make your ally do things you, you don't want. You just both agree, hey, we don't want this. We'll resist that. And when that's over, we'll just go our own way. So who knows? I don't know. That's just a thought experiment there. Uh, no major predictions or anything like that. But uh, no, I don't think they'll just go quietly into the good night if that was your question. So last time I did a feedback show uh, from home, I read an email from someone that was displeased with me, uh, what I called a hate email. I don't know if I call this one a hate email, but I will call this an email from an ass clown. I'm just going to read parts of it, because it goes on and on and on. And let me just say, this guy is angry with me. He's, he's upset. You'll never guess what he's upset about. He's upset that I'm going to go full-time with TSP in January. Um... Here is one of the things he said is that I'm turning my back on what made me successful because the regular guy bit who had to deal with the daily things like the rest of us is what made you so successful in the first place. Fair enough. I I think being a regular guy did help me connect with my audience. I hope I'm still a regular guy. For God's sakes, my my mission in life now is to sell my home here in Arlington, move to my bug-out location, which is a three-bedroom, two-bathroom home on a little piece of rock in the Arkansas Mountains that I paid seventy-five thousand dollars for. All right, I'm not living the high life. I'm not moving in next door to Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck. I don't know what regular guy he thinks going away, but I get your point there. I would be okay with that. He says, though, no. oh, he must continue. Yet now that you are a success in making money on this thing, you seem to just want to make the show as commercial as you possibly can. I really wish you would just keep your day job and keep things going the way they were. But no, of course, you just want to chase the almighty dollar. Folks, I I hope it's been clear that my job is as the owner of another company. And a company that had quite a few other companies that I was a partner in on a retainer as a consulting agreement and plus took additional outside contacts. I am, I'm not gonna say how much. I am taking a massive cut in my income. January 1. A massive cut. This is not about the money. This guy's an ass clown. You know what? The other thing is, you know what I like doing the mobile podcast? It was my choice. I'm not asking for anybody to feel bad for me. But it's dangerous on the road 50 miles a day, both directions, on, 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 you know, the, the Dallas North Killway trying to make sure that I give you everything I possibly can. I, I prefer to stay home. Now, look, a lot of you guys have emailed me and said, hey, I really like the mobile podcast. I hope once in a while you jump in the jet at TDI for old times' sake and go out there and do a show. You bet your ass I will. Probably a couple times a month. Who knows? I might just decide, you know what? I want to go spend a day out in the forest somewhere, and I'll do my show on the way there, and I'll upload it with my uh, my AT&T uh, mobile modem, right? I'll keep doing stuff like that for you guys, don't worry. Uh, and I'll stay a regular guy. I'm going to be sharing with you the things that I do to create what I tell you to go create. But this guy's a jackass. There's another word that I used in my, uh, we have a bitch and wine uh, uh, thread on the forum for the moderators just so we can get things off our chest. I used a word there I won't use on the air. You can You can guess what word that is. It ends with E-R. That's how I feel about this jerk. You know, I'll tell you what, folks. I don't want to be angry or obstinate today about this or anything. But I just want you guys to, to know that that's not the exception. Guys, I get stuff like this every dad gone day. And what I'm realizing is I'm starting to make a difference. I'm starting to make a real difference. And the more of this stuff that comes, the more anger, the more hatred, the more venom. I can imagine what a national talk show host gets for hate mail on a daily basis. And I'm learning. learning, I've got a lot of pride. And I'm a fighter. And I'm a warrior. And when you throw something at me, my natural male instinct is to bow up and fight back. I'm learning to let this stuff just ride because these are sad, pathetic people that don't like the fact that I'm effective, because none of them had a bad thing to say a year and a half ago when 15 people were listening to me. Because they didn't care then. It didn't matter then. Now that this show, and more than me, now that this community is making an impact, now the fire comes. They used to say, in World War II, the bomber pilot said, how do you know when you're supposed to drop your bombs? When they start shooting at you, when you start taking flack, you're over the target. Well, we, my friends, are over the target. We're changing a paradigm of what a survivalist is. A survivalist is not a racist. She can't survive as an isolationist. And there's people in the old dogma community of survivalists that don't like that. I hear from them all the time. We are not people that will go quietly into the good night like we were just talking about China. We'll rise up and we will fight. And the powers that be don't like that. We're not people that are so twisted in our ideology that we'll go out and start turning cars over, acting radically. So we can't easily be put down because we use common sense but yet we'll stand and we'll fight the oppression that's being leveled on us. And we'll be ready, if that oppression comes, to live through it and continue to fight. And that's why the government doesn't like you, and doesn't like the things that we do. That's why they have ready.gov, but they don't really mean it. Because they want complacency, or they want radical anarchy. They'll take radical anarchy, because they can come in and smack you down. And the people will cheer when they do it. But what we're doing is different. It's different. That's where the hate emails come from. That's where the government doesn't like it. Because we're not out there to be stupid. And to do dumb things. And to make dumb threats. We make threats. Our threats are things like, I have my own individual God-given human rights, and I will not, not, not in any way let you take them away from me. I'll live by the law, but only by the law, not by the things that you suggest that I do. And what I do in my own world is my own business, and I want you out of it. And I'll feed myself, and I'll clothe myself, and I don't want your handouts. Go away. That scares the hell out of them. That scares the hell out of a lot of big government liberals. And for some reason, it seems to scare some people on the complete other side. I guess because it's common sense. I guess because it brings people together. I guess because it does create a unity, and the real unity. Governments have talked about unity for eons. Government unity is a fallacy. Unity at gunpoint is not unity. Unity in a prison is not unity. You put a bunch of guys in prison and they get together and they take care of each other, they watch each other's back. They're even good guys. 20 guys that ended up in one prison that found each other, that really don't belong in prison. Those 20 guys, as soon as you take them out of prison, most of them will go their own way and never talk to each other again. That's not unity. Unity is chosen. Unity is the 10,000 people that listen to this show every day and take action in their lives. And people, that their best shot at me is to call me fat by email or a comment are pretty small and weak indeed. And they can't stand up to me, and folks, they sure as hell can't stand up to the 10,000 people like you that are out there that say, I'll dig a hole in my backyard, I'll kill some dadgum or Bermuda grass, and I will feed myself. You can take everything else from me, but I will freaking feed myself. And as long as I can feed myself, well, I have enough energy to defend myself. And I might have to pay you your little tribute on this piece of dirt in the form of taxation, but it's my piece of dirt, damn it, and you better stay off of it. And I'll take care of myself. All we need is a set of 10,000, about 10 million. 10 million of us will turn this country around. That's how big this thing will get. And it won't, let me be very clear, it won't get to 10 million with me. That's too big for one man. There will be other people that will stand up, that that some people will have more affinity with than they will with me, because they'll do things a bit differently. And that's great, and that's wonderful, and I wish those people well. But the common bond, the common unity among those 10 million will be an independent spirit, an openness, a lack of hatred, common sense, a willingness to defend with force if necessary, but an abject rejection of the use of force on other people to make them do what you want them to do. An independent living spirit. And send me all the hate mail you want. I like it. It fuels my fire, if you can't tell. So let's see what else we can go into. So how's that for turning around kind of a demotivational day, folks, into something a little bit inspiring? Okay, another Joe, different Joe, asking me a question about Savings bonds. Joe's from Illinois. Joe says, hey, what do you think of savings bonds and their value in the future? I have 10 savings bonds with a $100 face value that I can cash in now for $1,600. That's a $1,000 face value, $1,600. Or wait until they fully mature at 2018. Do you think inflation will make them worthless, if not in the not-so-distant future? Um, worthless, no. But that's not your real question, Joe. Your real question is, how much will this $1,600 become worth in 2018? Alright? Say it again. That's your real question. What is the difference between $1,600 and its maturity value in 2018? Now, 2018 is eight years away. That's a long time. And what you want to know really is, will inflation destroy the value of the appreciation? In other words, if it's going to be worth, let's say they're going to be worth $2,200 in 2018. Will $2,200 buy less than $1,600 buys today in 2018? No way to really know that, but my guess would be no. So it's not will inflation erode the entire value of the investment, but will it erode the increased value of the investment? The other way to look at this is, is the very simple way today. If I handed you $1,600 in cash right now, Joe, would you put it in the U.S. savings bonds? If the answer is no, sell your bonds and do something else with the cash, because it's the same thing. Let me say that again. If I gave you sixteen hundred dollars in cash right now, just send it to you in the mail. Here's a gift from Jack Spirico, You're my charity of the year. Sixteen hundred dollars to Joe in Illinois. Would you buy savings bonds with it, or would you do something else with it? It's the same thing. There's no penalty. If you told me there's a penalty, this is in some kind of it'd be different. But basically you walk in, they hand you sixteen hundred dollars, you walk out. You're holding sixteen hundred dollars in cash, you can leave it sit in savings bonds, or you can go do something else with it. If you don't know what else to do with it for at least the short term, leave it alone. I think you're pretty safe for the next few years. Probably two to three. You're going to see this big hockey. We'll get into that on another show. But there's a big false recovery coming, big hockey stick at the end. That's when inflation's going to run away. So when you find the place for the $1,600 to go, go with it there then. You know, I'm not real hot on, on, on silver or gold right. I think both have been pushed way, way up. I could be wrong about that, though. But, again, I want you to make your own decisions in life, not just what Jack says you should do. And that's what I want to know. If it was in cash, what would you do with it? And if you wouldn't put it in savings bonds you're asking yourself the same question it's the same thing when we paid off our truck and our car and we had it down to a point where I could go write a check and pay the whole thing off or I could keep making payments for another year and my wife said well I like the money in the bank and like with, with the truck we paid it off it was like $3,000 left on the truck and we just wrote one check and paid it off and I said well if the truck was paid off now would you go out and borrow $3,000 against the truck and put it in the bank and uh She said, no, that would be stupid. I said, tell me how this is any different. And she thought about it, and then my wife did something my wife almost never does. She said the F word at me. (laughs) Because she realized that there was no good answer to that, and damn it, we were going to take the money out, and we were going to pay off the truck. She really didn't want to do it, but she couldn't argue with the logic. That's the logic I'm giving you, Joe. If it's $1,600 that you could have in cash, or $1,600 you can have in bonds, if you wouldn't buy it, don't hold it. I got another question here from a guy named Tom. Tom says that he and his wife have been listening to the show and he's always wanted to own firearms and his wife has always been opposed to it and now she's not opposed to it anymore and he wants to move while the iron is hot. Problem is that he and his wife know very little about firearms because he's never owned one. He's just always wanted to. What do I think that they should do? I think that the first thing that you should do is go take a firearms safety course of some sort or another. And you'll be able to find gun ranges around you that will help you with that. And I, I don't even think you really need to start out with a, uh, a a firearm shooting course so much as a safety course. How to handle a weapon, how to arm it, how to disarm it, how to clean it, how to maintain it, how to take care of it. And then go take some basic um, training on shooting. Just basic shooting, going to a range, firing, things like that. That will give you A gun is not a big mystery. But if you when you tell me you've never, you know, owned a gun and you've never had a gun, you've basically never even, you know, worked with a gun, it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. So you get that fundamental first. Then my advice would be to you to probably start out for home defense and that was another part of his his email um that their his primary concern is defending the home with shotguns. And, and I would say that shotguns are inexpensive, and if you have the funding to do it, getting a, like a pair of shotguns. And I would even say stick with a common gauge. And both of you learning to shoot them well. Because you could end up in a, in a two-shooter situation. Uh, it's not that likely, but at least it's feasible and possible. The other thing is if, you know, you decide that this is gonna be part of your life, one of you may someday have to go somewhere else for a long period of time and may want to take a weapon with them to defend them. If you have two, that's possible to do. The next thing that I would add is probably a .22 rifle. And I would start learning to shoot a .22 rifle. I think that's one of the uh, the best training implements in the world. In fact, I'm working on a book that will be available uh, by about January 10th to 15th, I believe, uh, is when I'm going to have that book available, on mastering the .22 rifle. So you might want to check that out. That's at masterrifleman.com. And um you can basically pre-order it now, but you're not giving me any money. You just get a an email when it becomes available, and you get a big discount. So a 22 rifle. I am not that big on handguns unless you're going to carry a handgun on you. Unless you're going to go kind of, let's say, the full Monty, and uh then go take your concealed carry requirements and get a handgun and carry. i i a handgun is something that is designed to fill a gap when you can't get your hands on a shotgun or a rifle. That's why we have handguns. So I'm not against handguns. I love handguns. I own plenty of them. But I'm a gun nut. If you're just kind of working your way into this, I would actually say if you're gonna do any kind of hunting long term or something, moving into, you know, a mid-bore center fire would be kind of the next progression that I would go. Something somewhere between a 243 and a 3006. If your wife's gonna shoot it, stick to the 243, 260 Remington, that realm. It would be easier to learn as a new shooter, but go with the 22 first. Because there's no recoil there, you'll f- f- form all your good habits. When you move into that center fire, you'll be good to go. And with that three gun battery—a shotgun, uh, especially a pair of shotguns, a center fire rifle, and a .22—you um, have a lot of bases covered. Now, long term, I'd say go full out. Go get training. Go to a place like Tactical Response with James Yeager and learn how to defend yourself in a variety of situations. Learn how to handle your gun. Learn how to deal with malfunctions. But I would come into these things slowly with an investment of time and money that's slow and kind of ramps up to your most immediate needs. Because as big as James Yeager is when he says, first course to take with me is fighting pistol, that's because it's what you're most likely to have on you if you end up in a fight, if you are carrying concealed carry. But if you ask James what he does to defend his home, what would be his go-to weapon if he hears a bump in the middle of the night? It's a 12-gauge shotgun. And if you ask him why, he'll say because shotguns and fights. In fact, he put a little bit more. I don't even completely agree with this statement. Here is how he puts it: He says, "People shot with a handgun usually say, 'I'll stop shooting me and run away.' When you shoot somebody with a shotgun, they fall down and die. And there's some, there's, there is you know, more fatalities with handguns than, than maybe warrants that, that extreme of a statement. But there is some real truth and wisdom there. When you shoot somebody with a shotgun, they're pretty much they're pretty much out. And, and I hate to put it that way. I hate to almost laugh about it, but when somebody wants to do your family harm then the safety of your family is more important than the person that means to do them harm that's a simplistic God-given right to self-defense that most societies comprehend and understand even though they might not you know advocate the use of a firearm for that most societies accept self-defense is self-defense man somebody attacks you, you you reciprocate right so that's kind of my view there My other thing is, you are right to strike while the iron's hot. If you've had a woman that's been opposed to guns, I would say take her down to a gun range with a qualified instructor and get her shooting now. Get her shooting something that's low recoil, low muzzle blast, easy to shoot, maybe just a 22, 20 20-gauge shot could take her skeet shooting. Go out and get some instruction, and get instruction across the board. A tactical person is going to teach you to shoot a certain way, and a person that shoots sporting clays and goes out in the dove field is going to teach you to shoot a different way. And those two methods, as different as they are, have a lot of overlap, and they'll make you a more complete shooter. I happen to think that people that only know the tactical use of firearms are very one-dimensional, and in a survival situation, they're, no, they're more likely to need to feed themselves with a firearm than they are to defend themselves with a firearm. And that's just reality, because you defend yourself when there's a threat, and you have to eat every day. So I find it very one-dimensional when people are, I got my Glock, I got my AR, that's all I need, I'm ready to fight, if I have to shoot, I'll shoot a deer, I'll shoot a deer. It's not ideal, I know, but I can handle it. Can you? Do you know the first thing about deer hunting? Do you know the difference between shooting at an assaulting person that's assaulting you and shooting at something that you need to eat? So I say get as much training as you can as you amass your gun collection, because another place where you, James is so right is he says he'll talk to people and it will be like, Hey, I-, I want some advice, man. What gun should I buy next? And he'll ask him, Well, how many guns do you have? Oh, I have like 19 guns and I'm thinking about this or that. And they go, well, How many firearms training courses have you taken? And a lot of times they'll say, None. he will say, Well, take the money you'd buy that. And your 19 guns, you've got. You can handle it. Right? Why don't you go take some, even if it's not with me, he'll say, Go take some training. You, whatever you think you know, a good trainer can teach you more. It's not necessarily that what you know is wrong. So this is advice for everybody from the beginner to the experienced shooter. There's nothing wrong with more training. So that's my big advice for anybody that's considering guns. Especially if you don't have them and you're going into that first time. Make sure you get training. The people that are opposed to us owning guns and having freedoms and things like that, they don't need any more frickin' ammunition. And every time some fool shoots his wife... Cleaning a gun that was loaded and he didn't know it, or blows his foot off, or leaves a gun unsecured that some kid runs around the neighborhood. Even if nothing happens, kid just gets the gun. He gets picked up with the gun. They get more ammunition. I want the ammunition in your foot locker, not in their political coffers. All right. So stick to training. So I know this show went a bit long today, but that's the beauty of broadcasting from home, that I can do more things like this, I can be more involved, I can read more emails. Please keep sending your emails. When you hear me kind of put on one of these hate emails and beat up on the guy or whatever, don't think I'm going to do that to you just because you disagree with me. Alright, I'm way open to disagreements. I'm just not open to insults and and behaving like an immature child. Let's all be like adults here and let's set good examples for those around us. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close up today. This has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. All gets spent.